We're going to turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3, and we're going to just read three verses tonight. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 7. And the title of the message is the first word of verse number 5, which says simply, Mortify. The Bible says this, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. Lord, we thank you for the service tonight. Thank you for already the songs and the verses that we heard from the children. And But now, Lord, as we turn our attention to this passage of Scripture, I pray, Lord, you'd help us to have a clear mind and to understand um, what you're trying to say here. And again, help us to apply it to our life. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So here we go in this series through the book of Colossians. We have looked at a lot of doctrinal stuff in chapters 1 and 2. And even last Sunday night as we started chapter 3, while it was starting to get practical, it didn't really name names and name things that we really need to work on. It was more of a concept that we are to set our affection on things above and to seek those things which are above. And it talked about, uh, we learned about our someday as well in verse number four when it says, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. But now we kind of get into the, okay, all that being said, here's what we now need to do with all of that. And verse number five, he says, mortify therefore. And he gets really very practical in this passage of Scripture and really down through the rest of this book. It gets very, very practical and very pointed. And the real-world application of what we've been learning in this chapter is now going to be uh, presented to all of us. Uh, now, we sung a song a moment ago uh, when we talked about, when we sung about God's holiness. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse number 15, it says, But as he which hath called you is holy... So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And most Christians will, if I, you were to ask them, should we as believers, as Christians, be holy in our life? Should we uh, have holiness in our lives? I, I think most Christians would agree with that statement and, and say amen, that yes, we need to be holy in our lives. But once you start getting specifics on how that holiness is supposed to appear in our lives, then we're not as near as enthusiastic about it uh, because it's like, hey, you're starting to meddle a little bit. You're starting to get a little bit personal. And here is Paul uh, says in verses 1 through 4, it all sounds very good and, and, and amen and good job, Paul. I agree with all that. Well, then verse number 5, he starts getting really specific on what that means for the believers there in Colossae. And by the way, for believers here at the Church of Cornerstone Baptist Church here in Moore. All these things aren't just for them, they're also for us as well. 
which is why we're looking at it tonight. And so he gets really personal, and this is really where the rubber meets the road here. And so let's dive into this very practical portion of this book. Let's notice, first of all, tonight our command in verse number 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. So we have seen the fact that we are dead. There is a fact in verse number, uh, in chapter 3, in verse number 3, he says, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. We're dead in Christ. And uh, verse number 20 of chapter 2 says the same thing. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why is though, and he, he mentions the fact that we are dead. It is a, it's a fact that we are dead, but then we must have a corresponding act with that fact. We must then mortify our members. Now, the word mortify, of course, most of us understand what that word means. It means put to death. Um, and it's also a word that we get uh, the word mort mortician. Um, those who work at a funeral home and, and uh, deal with, for lack of a better word, dead bodies. And uh, mortify means to put to death. And we, this is what we are to do, it says here, with our members which are upon the earth. Uh, now, not church members, just to let you know, okay? <laughs> but when it talks about members, it's talking about our flesh and the sinful desires of our flesh. That's what we are to put to death. Because technically, theologically, the fact remains, as believers, those sinful desires have been crucified with Christ, and yet uh, they, we still are dealing with the temptation that um, is there in our flesh, and so he says, mortify, therefore, because of the fact that we are dead, the fact that we are risen with Christ, the fact that we are hid with Christ in God, because of all those things, then we now need to mortify these sinful desires of the flesh. And remember what the Bible says in, in Romans, we are to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. By the way, not the only time we are commanded to, <coughs> excuse me, to mortify our, our sinful desires, <clears throat> Romans 8.13 says this, For if ye li live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So we're called to mortify and to kill. Now, I know it sounds kind of weird as a preacher to say, Hey, you ought to kill some things. When one of the commandments is, Thou shalt not kill. But here we're instructed to mortify our members which are upon the earth. We're instructed to um, commit murder <laughs> uh, when it comes to the sinful desires that we have in our flesh. We are, in other words, to deprive the old nature of its efforts uh, to use our living bodies as the vehicle to express its own sinful desires, one Bible commentary uh, commentator said. Now, how can we put or how can we mortify the sins of the flesh? Well, by following what we learned in verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4, we learn that we are to seek those things which are above. We are to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And the more we do that, uh, the more power we'll have over the old man of the flesh. The more we're focused on the things that are eternal and the things that, uh, that matter most to the Lord, the less we're going to be attempted to fulfill the desires of the flesh. So 
Uh, here, this is why he says in verses 1 through 4, to set our affection on things above and to seek those things which are above so that we will uh, not have... Not, the more you feed the flesh, the more the stronger the, the flesh becomes. But the more you feed the Spirit, the stronger the Spirit becomes. And, and our command here is to stop feeding the Spirit, stop feeding the flesh, but instead start feeding the Spirit by setting our affection on things above. So we are first commanded here to mortify our members which are upon the earth. And so verse 5 tells us our command, but then it goes into our catalog. The catalog of things that uh, we are to uh, mortify. Therefore, your members which are upon the earth. But then he goes and starts naming some things. And again, the, if just verse 5 said, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, most of us would say, okay, that's fine, that's great. But, but now he starts getting and starts naming sins. And this is where it kind of gets a little personal. And again, it's easy to say, hey, you shouldn't sin. But once you start naming sins, then it's like a little, hey, wait a minute. Stop stepping on my toes. And, uh, you know, I'm not just trying to step on toes. I'm trying to get us to remove sin from our life. That's what my aim is and what, what, what Paul's aim was here in Colossians in the, writing this book. For them to stop these things and to mortify the, the flesh so that these sins wouldn't be named among them. Okay, what are these? Let's walk down through this catalog of, uh, of sin. All right, first one mentioned here is fornication. Fornication. The, the Greek word for fornication is the word porneia, uh, which is, of course, where we get the word pornography from in our day and age. And this, this particular word mentioned is the physical act of sexual sin. Fornication is any perversion of what God designed to be natural, healthy, and good within the boundaries of marriage. Fornication includes any sexual activity before marriage. And then after marriage, if it's outside of that marriage bond, and then that is also considered fornication. It also includes any sexual activity between the same gender. And God still desires that physical intimacy would only take place between husband and wife within the boundaries of marriage. Yes, even in 2022. And I realize that this is just because it's acceptable in our society Sometimes even Christians begin to think it's not that big of a deal. And yet, this is the first one mentioned here in Colossians 3.5, fornication. Now, by the way, I would, I would like to say this. Physical intimacy within the bounds of marriage is wonderful and blessed of God and natural, healthy, and yes, even instructed for couples to be involved in that. Uh, married couples. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, you could go there and look. You can write that down and look that up later. Uh, but in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 4, the Bible says this, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But when we take something that God meant for good and pervert it and twist it, uh, He is not pleased. And it's something that we need to make sure that we mortify. That, and this is the physical act of sexual sin. 
So fornication. But what's next? He also mentions uncleanness. And uh, I've got three boys, and they play, and they get dirty, and it's not, well, that's not what it's talking about. Okay? It's talking about impurity of thought, impurity of word or action. Speaks of moral filth rather than, of course, physical dirt. And, and then cleanness is something we need to make sure that we're not uh, allowing to grow in our life, uncleanness. And uh, each one of our boys, as they became preteens, it became evident that they needed to take a shower more than once a week. Um, and uh, they began to think, okay, well, I'll take my Saturday night bath or Saturday night shower. Well, I think all of them have reached the point where it needs to be a little more often than that, okay? Um, and the thing is, we live in a pretty unclean world, and uh, we need to make sure that we maintain a level of cleanliness as believers. And the more we're in this world and around the things of this world, the more we need to make sure we're in God's Word, which... It, it, let me, let, me, let me read a verse here in, in John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse number 3, he says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The word of God acts as a detergent in our life, as a soap that cleanses us on the inside. We need to make sure we're in God's word on a regular basis to cleanse us from just being around this unclean world. So uncleanness is something we need to mortify as well. Uh, third one here is inordinate affection. And that means unbridled lust or an evil passion. So you're kind of starting to see the first word fornication deals with the physical act, the outward act. But uncleanness and inordinate affection and even the next one all deals with more of what's going on on the inside, on the heart and in the mind. If we don't control our thoughts and bring them unto captivity and bring them uh, under the obedience of Christ, then they're going to start to create an inordinate affection in our life. We're going to develop this unbridled lust and an evil passion that basically when it gets to this point, it's, it's, it's hard to stop. Inordinate affection. But then fourthly here, he mentions this uh, phrase, evil concupiscence. What, what does that mean? This means intense craving, base evil desires. So these last three, uncleanness, inordinate affection, and evil concupiscence, um, are very similar in that they deal with the inward heart and mind. And they're all affected by what goes in our eye gate and what goes in our ear gate. And we need to make sure that we're guarding our hearts and keep them with all diligence, Solomon said, uh, because out of it are the issues of life. Matthew twenty-five, twenty-eight. Jesus said this regarding the eyes. He said, I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Um, 
I took my boys to the uh, Oklahoma Sooners game last Saturday. I picked the wrong game to go to. I should have gone to last night's game because the weather was nice last night. <laughs> I got baked. I felt like a rotisserie chicken, you know, uh, last Saturday. But as a result of the hot weather, I guarantee, well, not guarantee, it was tough to keep my eyes away from other fans there that I that were not dressed very modestly. It was very it was very challenging, and and uh, I talked with Luke about it as well, and and I said it, it's tough to keep our eyes in the right direction, isn't it? And uh, he was like, uh huh. It 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 just is. We we live in a difficult day, and we've got to guard our eyes and. And, and, and here again, the Lord says, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. I'm reminded of King David, who should have been out to war, but at, at age 50, we mentioned it this morning in 2 Samuel 11, 2, it came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed, walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon, and we all know what happens next. See, he allowed this look to bring about these deeds of the flesh here, um, this uncleanness, this inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, which led to fornication. And... You say, well, it's not going to happen to me. If it can happen to King David, it can happen to any one of us. And we all need to be mindful of that. Psalm 103, verse, 101, verse 3, Psalmist said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. We need to have that same mentality and motto of, especially the guys in the room tonight, we need to say, hey, I'm not going to set any wicked thing before mine eyes, not purposely. Now, the thing is, I mentioned, we live in a pretty unclean world, and it's going to be very difficult for us to, unless we, you know, have a blindfold on uh, and, and, you know, walk with a, a, one of those sticks, you know, uh, we could do that. Uh, but look, we're not going to go through this life without being exposed to some type of temptation in that way. But we also don't need to purposely set things before our eyes. And that's what the psalmist said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. And that's why I think Job, in Job 31.1, said this, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? So Job somehow made some personal rules for his life on what he was going to allow his eyes to look upon. And you and I would be wise to do the same thing. Why? Because according to Lamentation 3 and verse 51, mine eye affecteth mine heart. So what we allow our eyes to see, uh, whether it's an ad on TV, an ad when you're scrolling through Facebook, or every Facebook post, every commercial, every website, Everything that you and I see, every billboard, every time we walk to a grocery store and buy some milk and go through the a checkout line and look at those magazines set there. I mean, everything affects our hearts. It's been said this, I can't stop a bird from landing on my head, but I don't have to let him make a nest there. 
See, it's impossible to go through this life without seeing sexual temptation, but we don't have to keep looking at them and letting them begin to affect our hearts and begin to lead us down this path to where eventually it leads to fornication. So I would absolutely recommend that every male in our church to have some type of filter on your internet devices, whether they be a phone, a tablet, a computer, to keep you from seeing something that you, in your spirit, and the Holy Spirit doesn't want you seeing. The Apostle Paul said, the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. The things that I want to do, unfortunately, those are the things that I don't do. Look, we all want to stay pure. We all want to keep our hearts right with God. But our flesh sometimes rises up, and we're not doing a very good job at mortifying the members which are upon the earth. And if we have this uh, filter that keeps us from going somewhere on our phone, tablet, computers, or whatever, um, I think that's a good thing to do. I think that's a ap practical application of, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. So I would encourage you to do that. There's several options out there. Just Google it. Um, I would encourage you to have a filter before you Google it. But anyway, <laughs> no. Just Google filters, and uh, there's, there's a bunch of great options out there. Um, you can ask me afterwards. I'd be glad to share with you what I have on my phone. And uh, it, it, it's helpful. It's helpful to know that it's there and uh, that there's some accountability there. Um, look, this is what he's saying. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Because we're dead in Christ, because we're risen with Christ, we do need to do this. Fornication, that's the act. But uncleanness, or infection, and evil confusion, this is all the heart. This is all what's going on in the inside that's producing that. But then he mentions, uh, fifthly here in verse number five, covetousness, which is idolatry. And this is a sin of always wanting more. Remember the last of the Ten Commandments? The Tenth Commandment is, Thou shalt not covet. And covetousness is equal to idolatry here in this passage. Most of us are saddened when we have a missionary come through and we watch the, their videos and we see these uh, graven images and these statues that people are bowing down to and worshiping, and we're like, how sad. These people need Jesus. Look, they're in such bondage. They're worshiping these idols. And yet, when we're covetous, we are no different. We worship things... Now, they may not be statues, but they may be the almighty dollar. They may be labeled as pleasure or something else. See, we worship things to where we give our affection. And God still says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, I'll just clarify a little bit here. It's not wrong to desire things. So long as those desires are submitted to God and are legitimate according to God's Word. Covetousness is to desire something that is wrong, something that does not please God, something that is not within God's will, whether it be money, property, possessions, prestige, <coughs> or a person or pleasure itself. 
You think about Achan. There is, remember Jericho? The walls came tumbling down. In a great miraculous way, right? They walked around it. That's how they won the battle. God miraculously tore those walls down and, and the nation came in. They weren't supposed to, though, take anything for themselves that was in Jericho because that all belonged to the Lord. It was the first city that was taken. But unfortunately, one person failed to heed that particular warning. And so they finished Jericho, and then they face Ai, and Ai is weak sauce compared to Jericho. And so Joshua just sends a little army, not, a really, not the whole deal. He's like, this is going to be an easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy battle. Let's just send a few of our soldiers. Well, a bunch of soldiers died in that battle, and it was like, what happened here? I thought God was going to just make a way for us, and this was going to be an easy-peasy uh, win here. And Well, what ended up happening was there was sin in the camp, and what had happened was Achan came in and took some of the Babylonian garments and, and some of the coins and the silver, and, and he hid them. It was his covetousness that caused them to lose. Covetousness is idolatry. I read about someone who laid a small circle of poison around a hill of stinging ants. Try to get rid of these ants. Now, thinking the tiny granules of poison were food, these ants began to pick them up and carry them throughout the colony. And they returned later to see how well the poison was working. And hundreds of stinging ants were carrying the poison down into their hill. But then he noticed a hole in the circle of poison. Some of the poison was moving the opposite way, away from the hill. Some smaller, non-stinging ants had found this food and were stealing it from their ant neighbors. Thinking they were getting the other ants' treasure, they unwittingly poisoned themselves. And when we see someone with more than we have, we need to be careful. Because the hunger to beg borrow or steal away our way into what is theirs may poison us spiritually. It's idolatry. And he mentions covetousness here, and I just want to encourage us with the cure for covetousness, which is contentment. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation or your life be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. In other words, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the fact that the shepherd will never leave us nor forsake us should cause us to be content with the things that he has given us. And hey, if the shepherd uh, thinks I need this, he'll make it happen. If he doesn't want me to have it, then I don't need to have it. Philip uh, Parman tells the story of a rich industrialist who was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. Why aren't you out there fishing, he asked. Well, because I've caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Why don't you catch more fish than you need, the rich man asked. Well, what would I do with them? Well, you could earn more money, came the impatient, impatient reply, and buy a better boat so you could go deeper and, and catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish, and make more money. 
And soon you'd have a fleet of boats and, and be rich like me. Fisherman asked, well, then what would I do? Well, then you could sit down and enjoy life, said the industrialist. What do you think I'm doing now? The fisherman replied as he looked calmly out to sea. See, we don't need more. We just need to be content with what we have. And uh, here he says, covetousness, which is idolatry. We need to kill that. Two major categories of sins listed here in this catalog. Impurity and covetousness. Or two smaller words here, lust and greed. Two categories in this catalog. But here's a cross-reference for you, Ephesians 5.3. It says this, But fornication and all cleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become the saints. So in other words, no one should be able to say, Eric was involved in fornication or uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not be once named among you as become a saints, Paul says. And as we as a church are endeavoring to have a testimony in our community, may we have a testimony of purity and holiness. We, none of us are perfect, I get that, but may it not be said that fornication takes place in this church or that we're unclean, or that we're covetous. Let it not be once named among you as become a saints, Paul says. So we see the, the command is to mortify, therefore, your members. And then we see the catalog. But I want us to see, uh, thirdly here, our caution in verse number 6. He says, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. This catalog of sin that we just looked at is destructive and brings terrible consequences, such as regret. It brings bondage to addiction, disease. Y'all remember AIDS? Julie had a uh, very extended family member who got involved in homosexuality. And he was a young man. How old was he? Mid-20s, 24. Found out he had AIDS because of his perverted lifestyle. Got very sick and ended up dying. And I remember they asked me to preach the funeral for that. It was a difficult funeral to, to preach, especially when his boyfriend came. See, there are consequences to sin. Sometimes we think, oh, well, there's not, it's not that big of a deal, because look how tolerated it is in our society today. But there is still, in God's mind, the wrath of God that comes on the children of disobedience. Now we have monkeypox. Not to mention all the other STDs that are out there. 
Then there's the guilt and the fact that it hurts others. And, and the list goes on and on of the consequences and, and destruction that sin brings. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18, he says, Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What, know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own? You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Uh, look, I realize what the world says about my body, my choice. When it came to the vaccine, all of a sudden that went out the window, though, didn't it? <laughs> uh, but it's, it's not your body if you're a believer. Your body belongs to Him. He purchased it. And by the way, it was pretty expensive. It cost Him everything on the cross of Calvary. Romans chapter 1, we find that those involved in fornication ended up heading down a path, downward spiral of sin that leads into worse and worse things to the point where God just says, you know what? You continue on in your sin and you're going to have to deal with the consequences later. So there are severe consequences, but here in verse number 6, we see that the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Notice that word cometh. You say, well, man, I'm involved in this stuff, but ain't nothing happened yet. It's coming. Be sure your sin will find you out. You might be getting away with it now. No one may know. Your parents have no idea. Your spouse may not have any idea, but I'm telling you, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Judgment day is coming. People might flaunt their sin and immorality. They may parade all over during Pride Month and flaunt their sin and their wickedness. But one day, Judgment Day is coming, and God's going to sort it all out. And the wrath of God is going to come. Hebrews 13.4, I mentioned the first part of the verse a moment ago. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But the rest of the verse says, But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Well, I'm going to be an exception to that. I can get away with it. I know how to hide my sin. I know how to delete my history. I know how to hide it all. It's coming. The wrath of God, which by the way means the hot anger of the Lord. He, this is no small thing to him. I realize that in our culture, you can be involved with somebody before married and Take it to the judge, and he's going to say, so what? Next case, case dismissed, let's take, take the next case. It's allowed in our culture, but it's not allowed in God's economy. And we need to be reminded of that. There's one winter, a, I read about a, a resort in Breckenridge, Colorado. Anybody know where that is? Breckenridge, okay. One winter there, there were uh, posted signs instructing skiers to keep off a certain slope. The large and distinct sign said, Danger! Out of bounds! Well, in spite of the warnings, several skiers went into that forbidden area. The result? 
a half-mile-wide avalanche that ended up burying four of the disobedient beneath tons of snow and rock. The tragedy would never have happened if the signs had just been heeded. And God here in His Word has posted clear warning signs to tell us what kinds of behavior and attitudes are off-limits. The Lord loves us and wants us to spare us from tragedy. He's not trying to keep us from having fun. He's trying to keep us safe and trying to keep us from having regret and some of the consequences we've already talked about. And so he warns us about these things. And yet many times we completely ignore his warnings and intentionally wander into a forbidden area. And we convince ourselves that, hey, nothing bad is going to happen to me. I mean, maybe to somebody else, but not to me. I'm too smart for that. I can outsmart God. Or maybe that we can turn back if it gets a little too much. And yet maybe you've heard the saying, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go, and it will cost you more than you wanted to pay and keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Sin always does that. See here, God is not kidding. Sinning guarantees His disapproval and opens the door to remorse and tragedy. A, a person who repeatedly commits these sins may be giving evidence to the fact that he has never truly been saved in the first place. So are you tempted to explore a forbidden area of sin? Don't think you're an exception. Heed God's warning signs that say danger out of bounds. The cost of obedience is much smaller compared with the cost of disobedience. James 1.15 still says this, uh, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. None of us are an exception to this. None of us can outsmart the Lord in this one. For the which things sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. And so we see our caution, and then fourthly, we see our course. And verse number seven, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. Now, this verse is past tense. Paul reminds these believers that they once walked according to this course, that they were involved in all of this stuff, but now there has been a change. So it speaks to repentance, which is a change of direction. Some people who claim to be a Christian and are involved in all kinds of wickedness during the week, um, but talk about the importance of their faith. I think of uh, people who do this who are celebrities, and, and they're interviewed, and they talk about their faith, and yet you see all kinds of filth and uh, wickedness go on through their lives, and it's like, no, I don't think you really understand what you're saying here. I don't think you're really a believer because a believer should have a change of direction. We ought to be a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So as we look at verse number 7, In the which also ye walked, past tense, sometime when ye lived, past tense, in them. My question for you is, which tense is it for you? Is this catalog of sin something you used to be involved in, or is it a present tense thing for you? Was this your past course, or is it your present course? 
it was your past course and you've been born again and saved by the blood of the crucified one, then these things ought not to describe you. These should be mortified. They should be put to death. But if they're present for you, I wonder, are you saved? Have you been born again? If not, tonight's the night. Let's get it settled. Let's take care of it. Let me read a verse and we'll wrap it up here. Ephesians 5.3. I read it a little bit ago. Fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saint's. How can we avoid having these horrible sins that we've talked about tonight being named among us? Well, we must take heed to the command to mortify our members. I would encourage you, the way to mortify them is by setting our affection on things above, by feeding the Spirit and not the flesh. If you've been feeding the flesh, tonight's the night to get that right with God. We sang the song, Is Thy Heart Right With God? If you've been feeding the flesh, you've been, in, you've been feeding your lust, then your heart's not right with God. You need to get that settled and dealt with tonight. We must take heed to the command to mortify our members. Mortify. Quite a title for a sermon. But that's how he starts this section. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Let's do that tonight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be in your house today. Lord, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're reminded of your command to be holy, even as you are holy. And Lord, that doesn't just, it's not just an abstract concept. Lord, there are specifics to it. Tonight, we've looked at some specific areas in which we need to be holy in, in our minds, in our hearts which produce action. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to mortify our members which are upon earth by making sure that we're setting our affection on things above and feeding the Spirit. Lord, as we've looked at this catalog of sin, it's, it's one that all of us can relate to. All of us are, struggle with it. But, Lord, help us to remember the great caution that Lord, judgment day is coming. The wrath of God does will come upon the children of disobedience. And Lord, help the course that we're walking to be different from the course that we used to walk when we were walking in sin before we were saved. Help there to be a difference. And let none of these things be once named among us. Lord, we pray that you would help each one of us to apply this message to our lives.